Welcome to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. So excited for my guest today. I know I say that every week, but this really is a guy that I've been a fan of for over 18 years. I uh, used to follow him when he performed in this tiny little comedy club in Seattle. It was in uh, the back of a Ramada hotel. It's this uh, bar and lounge that on the weekends they turned into Laughs Comedy Club. And I remember seeing him there practically weekly. And he would do like a 15-minute set that would feature for the headlining comedian. Uh, but he would have new material like every week. And that was before YouTube and all that stuff. So if I wanted to like see his comedy, I had to go see him live. There was He didn't have TV specials or anything like that out. So we'd go and follow him a lot. And I just watched him get... I mean, he was already hilarious, but he just kept getting better and better, it seemed like. And making me laugh so hard. And I watched a lot of comedy. And so, you know, it's the more comedy you watch, the harder it is for comedians to make you laugh, the pickier you get. And uh, he still, to this day, makes me laugh super hard at so many of the things he does, not just his stand-up, but his YouTube and Instagram videos and such. Um, but yeah, he ended up moving to LA, and his career's just been on the skyrocket ever since. He's done TV shows, Chuck, Disaster Date, Californication, did a uh, the Whiskey Tango Foxtrot movie with Tina Fey, uh, had a Comedy Central special called Goat Face with Hassan Minaj from The Daily Show. And he also has his own stand-up special that you can watch for free online. It's called There's No Business Like Show Business. He's done like every famous podcast, including the Joe Rogan podcast, which is the most famous podcast I think there is. So very cool that he's taking the time to come on my little show. I really appreciate it. I think you guys will really enjoy his story, but also just his... He's funny even on this podcast. He can't not be funny. He's one of the best guests I've ever had, not just because of his credits, because he's just actually really funny guy. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and definitely check out all his uh, social media. Yeah, let's go. Welcome to the show. Um, thanks so much for doing hey, this. Thanks, man. Yes, it's an honor. It's an honor, <laughs> Thank you. It's an honor for you. Right. Okay, sure. Yeah. Oh, I'll take that. Yeah. Thank you. You know, people will hit me up to do their podcast um, quite a bit, like just random people from across the country, which is, which is, it's, it, yeah, it's really nice to get those requests, but I'm usually busy and I don't like, I like, I, I would just be busy doing podcasts my entire life if I did every single request from across the nation. But I've known you forever and you've known me since I was 18. Yeah. So I think that's such a special case where I'm like, yeah, of course. Really? So you get that many requests? Yeah. Huh? Like I got one today. I got one yesterday. And because everyone has a podcast now and, and comedy yeah. is just sort of um, very popular. So you'll get like one year, two year comics starting a podcast, which is great. Um, but yeah. and some some of my peers will do those. I just find that uh, I don't know. There's there's power in saying no. There's only like 24 hours in a day, so I just don't want to get caught up yeah. in doing a million podcasts and I'm not doing anything myself, you know. So how do you politely declare? Because I'm assuming some of these people that are just starting out. I mean, you know, you you want to help them out, but you, like you said, you can't do podcasts all the time. Yes, to a degree, you know. Like I, I do a cost to benefit analysis in my mind. I'm like, how many listeners are here? Um, it's like 200 followers. It's you know, I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. if they have like a huge following, I'd be like, okay, yeah, then then it makes sense. Um, yeah, not not that you're an asshole. It's just sort of like things have to be mutually beneficial for both parties. Right, right. No, thanks. Well, thanks for doing mine because I don't, I don't have a huge following, but uh, I'm hoping that to get there. Yeah, it's sort. So I have, I, I have a rule to go by. It's, it's either, um, it's like, will it help me do what I want to do, or do I know this person, and is it like 
a friend or a favor. And yeah. I'm cool with either of those. What'd you say once I heard you, your quote was, uh, asking someone to do your podcast is the new, like asking your friend to help you move. <laughs> Pretty much. I think there was there there was like different elements of it back in the day. Like it was or or can you take me to the airport was the ask. Oh. Or can you help me move? And then the can you help me read lines was the LA ask. Oh. And then instead of can you help me read lines, now it's um can you do my podcast? <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well thank again, thanks for doing this. But um yeah, so let's start at the beginning with your 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 story's kinda interesting. Uh, I mean I think everybody's story is interesting, but yours especially so I and I just learned this the other day. I didn't know this. Your dad moved to Seattle from um was it from Afghanistan directly or was he in the United States for something else? But he moved there sight unseen, right? He just saw it in a brochure and he moved there to work at Boeing. Yeah. So I mean he came here for school. So he had been in the States for a while. Okay. First he came to to North Dakota and then Minnesota. Or I'm I'm flip flopping him. It's either so North Dakota and Minnesota were were two schools he went to, one for mathematics and one for engineering. And when it came to the North Dakota, yeah, North Dakota State University. And what year was this? Like seventies. I don't know the exact year, but okay. yeah. So, and then when he graduated, there were you know the recruiters come around, and and Boeing was one of them, and they they had a brochure of Seattle, and they were hiring quite a bit. And he I, he didn't he's never been there, but the Space Needle's on the front the, the front of the brochure. And <laughs> it's like sure, why not? The Space Needle is cool. So. Growing up with immigrant parents, like, because the old cliche is always like, when I was your age, I had to walk five miles in the snow to get to school. Like, did your parents have any of those kinds of stories about growing up in Afghanistan, about how lucky you have it no, here? No, the thing is, like, I was watching this documentary on Afghanistan just yesterday or the day before. Like, I was at my uncle's house in San Diego and my brother. It's called The the Great Game. And it's you actually, you actually see it on YouTube. Hmm. There's a part one and a part two. And it's really interesting just how various countries have tried to... To like move into Afghanistan and they all fail. Um, so Afghanistan is very familiar with with wartime. They're they're always fighting some mm-hmm. somebody, but they had fifty years of peace. And my parents just happened to hmm. fall in that window oh. before they left for America. You know, like towards the end, it got a little a little dicey. Yeah. Um, but they grew up very westernized. It was kind of on par with America, like the stuff that you got here in the states. They got there in Afghanistan. So it was kind of an idyllic life the way they they grew up. So he just came over for school then, basically. Yeah. So he came over to study and, and stuff like that. Nice. And so then in terms of comedy, you, you started to kind of fall in love with the comedy with like The Simpsons, Conan O'Brien, uh, like all, all that SNL, 90s SNL, like Adam Sandler, Phil yeah, Hartman, yeah. Farley. Yeah, just like any other kid in America growing up on just consuming what any kid would, you know? I'm just a kid growing up in the... Like Linwood, Washington, Muckleteo, and <laughs> I'm like any other kid. And so I'm consuming The Simpsons. I'm consuming SNL, and and yeah, it's just it really informed my sensibilities. And that's is that was it, or a specific moment where you're like, this is what I want to do, like be on SNL and stuff. Or was there what about like actual stand up comics? Was there somebody that? Yeah, that was uh. So I mean, SNL and Simpsons were introduced to me very young. Yeah, I think because uh, my dad didn't listen to stand-up albums or anything. Stand-up, it might have been around, or I'm, I wonder if I would see it and just not even register with me. It had to have, but stand-up didn't really come on my radar until I was 17. And for oh. my birthday, we were at a video store, um, I mean, to date myself. And I think with the guy <laughs> recommended Eddie Murphy's Delirious. Oh, 
Love that. So it was my birthday party. Me, my brother, my friends were watching Eddie Murphy's Delirious. And it just, it was life changing. For like then and there, stand up became a thing for me. Whereas before it didn't exist, but now I knew it, it took up space in my brain after seeing that. And that coupled with how do people get on SNL, seeing that it was, they were either came through improv schools or they did stand up. Yeah. So that with me just seeing Delirious, that's why I lean so heavy for stand up. Right. So then you wanted to perform stand up at, at your high school talent show, but the school actually banned comedy. You, you said it was kind of like some footloose type of shit. Like, yeah. do you think that were you the first person to try that? And are you the reason for that rule? Or have there been other people that had, had that had tried stand up with bad results? I don't know. I, I don't think a lot of kids try to do stand up for the talent show because most people like hate. Uh, public speaking and all that but Mm. i was i was 17 and but the reason they banned it is because even before stand-up i always had a performer element to me i would do sketches Mm -hmm. i was in video productions i would also do assemblies i would i would like dance during the assemblies and and throughout the school year i was doing these like little sketches and like skits during uh pep assemblies and stuff oh and when i would do i did i remember i did this one it was for Christmas time, this Christmas time pep assembly. And Conan used to do this thing where he would do a slideshow about some event that happened. And they were just like funny photoshopped. Oh, yeah, fake yeah, story. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love that. And I did one of those for like this crazy, I just ripped it off. I'm a kid, you know? So yeah. I just ripped it off and made it my own and about some Christmas party with all the faculty and the principals and stuff and but it was approved, you know? So we had some funny Photoshop stuff. Like we had my drama teacher. We said it was getting pretty crazy. We just Photoshopped Ricky Martin getting wax poured on his <laughs> chest. But, but, but we put my drama teacher's face on it, just saying how crazy the night got and stuff. <laughs> and everyone awesome. loved it. It was just, it was so fun and funny. And it, it had been approved because you can't just like do shit rogue. That's when you get in trouble. But it got approved. But still some, I heard some parents had a problem with it and they complained oh. to the principal. And the thing is, whenever you do comedy, comedy is so subjective yeah. that what may be approved could still ruffle the feathers of a more conservative parent. So sure. that's why they didn't even want to deal with comedy at all. They just, for the talent show, they said no, no comedy, which I took mm. great offense to. You know what I mean? Just yeah. like they don't want to, they don't even like to rule out an entire art form just because you don't want one phone call from a dumb parent. Oh yeah. You don't need, I could tell you a million stories about schools nowadays. Where, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of the, that yeah. kind of stuff that goes on, but yeah. especially so yeah, with like, kids. So it's, yeah. yeah. So it's just, but all, then you, you be... organized your own comedy show and you did like 30 minutes, which seems like a lot to me <laughs> for someone who's it starting is. out. It's insane. Even, <laughs> Even like 18 years in, looking back, I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But so one of, but one of the improv that's, that's teachers. the beauty of being naive is yeah. no one. But you no did it, right? And, and one of the I improv it, teachers well. saw you. Yeah. And she suggested you go on at Comedy Underground. So did you go to the open mic night at Comedy Underground? Is that your first time trying it? Yeah. So I did. Her name was Pam Mann. I don't know where she is today. I have like, mm. she's kind of like a comedy guardian angel. Cause I, I really wonder what my life would be like if, if she didn't teach this improv unit in drama class for two mm. weeks. 
So yeah, I was in high school drama, and then for two weeks they brought Pam Man in from Unexpected Productions, which is an improv. It's like Seattle's Groundlings, or it's just oh, an improv yeah, yeah. theater in Pike Place Market. So she yes. came and t- and taught us for for two weeks, and at the end of it, um, I don't know. No, actually, at the end of it, there was nothing. But I did the the thirty minute stand up thing where I organized my comedy night because they wouldn't allow us to do it for the talent show. So me and my buddy. We we put on our own comedy night. We had to hire police because they they tried to do everything to make us not do it, but we just jumped over every hurdle they put in front of us so that they couldn't. Um, we just did everything because it was at the school or something. Yeah, it was at the school. They were oh. like, "Oh, well, if it's after hours, well, if you do it, then it has to be after hours, and if it's after hours, oh. you'll have to have a police officer on site in case it gets unruly." And like, this is such <laughs> white suburbia. Nothing's gonna happen. They just yeah. they just didn't want this to happen. So. So you we, found a policeman to do it? We found a yeah, we hired a, a security police guy <laughs> to do it and and it went it went great. We invited Pam to come watch the comedy night. So she saw us do improv and then I did stand up at the end. And that's when she was like, Hey, my friend does stand up at the comedy underground in Seattle. You should come. You should check it out. And she basically held my hand the first time to go to the comedy underground. So she was there with me. I watched the open mic. I signed up. I went up. I did like five minutes. And then I just continued to go without her. But it was just such a foreign world to me, especially when you're a kid. You're 17 uh-huh. or 18. And this is like this yeah. adult world. So her kind of shepherding me into it, at least for the introduction. And I I don't know. I, then I just kept huh. going. That's awesome. Yeah. So there is there rules like that with kids and being, I mean, it's kind of a bar, isn't it? It is. So I wasn't able to, for a while, f- until I was 18, I, I I could only hang out by the front desk. And when it was my turn, then I could go on stage, uh, but I couldn't okay. hang out in the club. And I remember uh, my first MC gig, I was, um, I was MCing for this show with the Howard Johnson. I forget, maybe it was in Everett. So the Howard Johnson Hotel, it's like this dingy bar lounge area. And I'm I'm 18, but I look like 12. So I go. I, I uh, they would ha- I would have to sit on the stool by the door, and then and then go on stage between the acts. Oh wow! Yeah, I I totally forgot about that phase of my comedy career where I had to hang out in the lobby before I could perform. Well, yeah, I remember the first time I saw you was at Giggles, and then I can't. We came back oh, the next yeah. week and we we asked about you, and the guy was like, "Oh, he usually performs at Laughs," and I was like. What the hell is that? I, apparently, there's a comedy club at a in a hotel in Bellevue, and it's similar thing in a hotel. The Inn. Yeah, and so I and you were there like every week, but um, yeah, and then you you ended up winning the uh, the Giggles Laugh Off at age 19, which made you the youngest person to ever do so. Do you do you remember like who you beat out uh, you, at that you know, point? You, you know, these are these are true facts. And you say it like I'm in the Hall of Fame or something, but these <laughs> credits mean nothing to anyone anywhere. <laughs> you go, and don't it's get me so- wrong, you were you were 19 when you won the Giggles Laugh Off. <laughs> do, you rem- do you remember the Titans you were up against? What was no, your thought process cool, going though, into the it? semifinals? The youngest person to ever do that—that's an accomplishment. You don't think that's an accomplishment? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. That was cool. I remember when it happened. Um, Terry was kind of weird though, man. Like, remember Terry Taylor? Yeah. Well, I, I had, there was a brief time where I was doing stand up, and I remember I used to go to Comedy Underground, and the guy there that was really cool. But one time I was like, oh, I'm going to try Giggles. And I went in there and I go, hey, I want to sign up for the open mic. He's like, 
no, you can't do that. I was like, what? Like, he's like, you have to bring like 10 people. I was like, oh, okay. I guess I won't yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> he was, um, he was a businessman, but, and there's nothing wrong with being a businessman, but I think sometimes, uh, he was too much of a businessman where it unraveled relationships or made relationships icy, or you don't need mm-hmm. a nickel and dime that much. And especially when it comes to talent, you know? Yeah. Like unpaid talent, or even if we are getting paid, it's like not much. Um, right. I got, cause I remember, uh, I don't think he wanted me to win cause I was, I wasn't going to giggles as much anymore. Cause I lived in Woodenville with my parents mm-hmm. all the way in the East side and it's quite a drive. Yeah. And during the middle of the week, I'm going to school. So I, I could only perform on the weekends anyway. And laughs was on the East side. It was 15 minutes away, 15 or 20 minutes away from my parents' house. And they would put me up every Friday and Saturday and a lot of time they would, they would put me up for like 20 minutes. Yeah, so, that's right. So I would just get in where I fit in. They gave me a lot of stage time. It was closer to home. It was on the weekends. And I don't know. I think Terry sometimes would play uh, like allegiances and, and favors or, you know, like loyalty. Are, are you, if you perform at my club a lot, then I take care of you. But just, oh. I'm going to school. I can't play these games, you know? Right. So I think he didn't want me to win because I wasn't a giggles guy. <laughs> so you how do they, I mean? is it the crowd pick it though? Then how did you beat it? How yeah, you yeah the, cr- the crowd picks it. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, the crowd picked it and I won. But they used to, I remember this. These are like little things you don't forget about. It sure. sounds petty, but when you're coming up, these things stick out in your mind and you never really lose it. I remember they used to have these plaques or this framed thing that would say, it would show the winner of the Giggles Laugh Off and it would be on the walls and they would have all the years yeah. prior. And they stopped doing it when I won. Really? <laughs> so like, I didn't have that up there. Yeah, that, that always bothered me. Wasn't, because I feel like, and, wasn't, wasn't Mitch Hedberg, didn't he win one get, of those? Oh, maybe, probably. I remember uh, like whoever won the semifinals was supposed to get two Sonics tickets. Oh. I think, I forgot who they were playing. So I was supposed to get those. And maybe I didn't pick them up that night or something. And I was, me and my brother were going to go, but then Terry gave them to somebody else. It was like some <laughs> other shady shit. What? Like Terry, like I love Terry overall. You know, I wouldn't be who I am without the stage that he uh, had there for me. I, I, I built my chops there with the other clubs in Seattle. So I'm very grateful yeah. for that period of my life. But there are just little things, little outliers that I look back on and go, that's funny. Yeah, well, yeah, because you have a much different perspective now that you've been in the business longer. Do you still yes, keep in I touch? Mean, I mean, the thing that matters most is stage time and those formative years. And to mm-hmm. that, I owe a lot to Terry and Dave and Ron and Carl, you know, Dave and Angela over at Laughs, Carl and and uh, Ron over at Comedy Underground and Terry Taylor over at Giggles. So, yeah, yeah they were all important to me. And do you still keep in touch with all the Seattle comics? Like, I mean, I had Andrew Rivers on my show. I've interviewed Justin uh-huh. Ruppel and those guys. Yeah, I mean, especially the ones that are here in LA. Just yeah. in the scene, you bounce in, you bounce into them. I'll go see Jeff Die or Brian Mood every mm-hmm. now and then, or Andrew Slater or Lucas occasionally. So that Seattle bond doesn't leave you. That's cool. You may so not I see do, them as much as you did back in the day, but right. it's it's, yeah. it's definitely a shorthand because you 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 were in that scene together. 
Yeah, I didn't know this. Um, I thought I knew a lot about you, but I didn't know that you opened for, or you had a chance. You didn't actually do it, but you had a chance to open for Michael Buble on some of his local dates. Tell me about yeah, this story. Yeah, man. I Sometimes I wonder what would happen if I actually did those dates. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would be a big audience, right? Life, li- yeah, life is, and Buble is huge. Mm-hmm. So you never know the twists and turns, whether you, I mean, you'll kill yourself if you do what ifs. I'm not saying my biggest regret is not opening for Michael Bublé, but <laughs> but I am just curious as to what that like, is, what that would have been. Like who whose idea was that? You know, I, I think the genesis of that might have been uh, Ron Reed over at the comedy uh, the Comedy Underground. They probably okay. wanted a comedian to open up for him. They probably called the comedy club and got, uh, tried to pick their brain or get a recommendation for them. And I think Ron must have suggested me uh yeah and like i wanted to do it but i was i was in college you know i'm studying engineering and they want me to open for him i think in seattle and, and then in, in portland and i it's just, it's just too far away I'm, oh, okay. uh, it's too much schoolwork I couldn't logistics do it. And, and logistics and my parents wouldn't be very understanding of that it was hard enough doing stand-up locally mm-hmm and yeah, so explain. Take days off of college to open right. for Michael Bublé. <laughs> so yeah, explain that. I mean, I know the story obviously, but uh, for the listeners, like, why you you went to UW and your degree was in engineering? Like, why you picked engineering? We- yeah, so I did mechanical engineering just because it was. There's only certain degrees my dad would pay for, and engineering was kind of like the bottom that I could do and still have them because I wanted to do art stuff. And he said no to all of them. <laughs> so I knew I had, to, I had to do engineering. It was, it was I, engineering or higher, but I just wanted to be out in four years. Yeah. And did you ever uh, think about just saying, screw you, dad, and just moving to LA and, and starting no, stand up right away? Because what's, what's like, then it's like, I have no family. Like, I love my parents, you know? Like, I love, <laughs> like, we may not see eye to eye and stuff, but I think immigrant families. Uh, it's very hard to burn it all down. No matter how hard they are on you, the family unit is very strong. There isn't this individualism to that degree. It's like you respect your parents, you love your parents, even if they don't like what you're doing and all. So, and it would be such a hard life. Just, I just moved to LA and, and then... I'm I'm disowned or something <laughs> and, and I'm just still trying to make money. It's, it's, it's not an easier path or anything. Right. So, I mean, it was actually smart because then you were able, that it actually gave you the opportunity to move to LA and, and do comedy on the side while you worked your engineering job at Boeing. Yeah. I'm always a big proponent of giving yourself leverage. The romantic version is just packing up your car, moving to LA and not thinking about things just going with your gut, but then you're doing a lot of shit just by necessity or you need to make rent and not because it's the right move for you personally yeah. and, and professionally. Even when I was coming up through the Seattle scene, I would get offers to do some triple run or some gig in the tri-state areas or Montana. And I, I live with my parents. I didn't need money and I was able to just do smart comedy in the city and that's the type of comedy i wanted to do to begin with if i Mm -hmm. were driving to montana nothing against montana but like to do well on those shows i would have to do a certain brand of comedy that is not uh good in the long run you know you learn how to survive for the night not 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 your career 
Yeah, because you're you're like a comedian's comedian, I would say. Like, because I at the time when I discovered you, I had been watching a lot of stand. I still watch a lot of stand up, and the thing with if you watch a lot of stand up or other comedians that watch stand up, it kind of takes you know, more to get you to laugh. Right. So, I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's why I think a lot of comedians, because they've seen, they've seen everything. Like you're not like the beginner comedian, right? Like if people are just getting yeah, into comedy, like I think, uh, for sure. It's not, like I, I don't go for the low hanging fruit. And if I do, yeah. it's, in a, it's in a different way. It's not, I don't go for the easy and, and it's not cause I like try not to go for the easy. I just kind of don't think that way even to begin with the, uh, I just learned to accept that maybe I, I have a novel mind or I'm wired Definitely. a certain way. And what I believe is funny is that's kind of refreshing too, just as an artist. Cause when you first start, you wonder like, uh, am I funny? Will I continue to write jokes? And is this fleeting, you know, like, was it luck these jokes that I came up with, but you do it so long. It, it's really, I guess, kind of refreshing, or an epiphany as an artist where you go, you can kind of rest easy and be like, oh no, I'm just wired a weird way. And that's that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Like Definitely. this well, this well isn't going to go dry. It'll ebb and flow, mm-hmm. but just the wires in my brain are arranged a certain way where I don't have to worry about, um, oh, my debut album was great and I've got nothing in the tank. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because that's, that's the other thing is like you you don't like to do a lot of the same, like we used to see you weekly in Seattle and you almost always have new, you had new jokes every week, almost whether some of them might've been some older ones, but you're always bringing up new stuff every week. So you don't have any problem getting material. I think I was lucky in that. uh, That's what drives me. That's what I love about stand up. I just, I love something working for the first time and I receive a lot of new ideas throughout the week. And my favorite part about stand up is, is, is getting to express those new ideas. I always, I'm most invested in my newest ideas than I am old ones that crush. Like those are, those have a a place. Like when I headline somewhere and I need to do well, people paid money to come see me. Like, sure. And it's still fun to do, but I derive the most pleasure from a, a newer bit trying to get it to work or like a newer bit in my arsenal or something. So I'm mm-hmm. always chasing that. Right. Yeah, and that's good so because be... I think uh, early on I would I would try to I was always chasing that, so I was I was doing so much new stuff and probably not doing well um, by I don't know comedian standards I guess like, but since I was chasing that new thing for so long, it taught me how to write faster or it just got me in the mode of of how to write fast. Yeah, because you're coming up with not only stand-up stuff, but like your Instagram stuff is killing it too right now. Thanks. Well, that's just trying to adapt to quarantine because I can't, stand-up isn't really, uh, there's not a ton of it going on right now. So Sure. Just you're you're not a fan of the Zoom stand-up? I didn't want to just to see what it feels like because at yeah. first I was like, oh, that's not real stand-up and I don't want to do that. But then part of me was, was like, wow. Let me just see what it's like. I don't have to do it every week or whatever, but let me just see what it feels like out of curiosity. And I did it mm-hmm. and it was fun, but it's not like, oh, that's that's the new thing for me. Mm. Yeah. So, but going back to LA uh, when you first moved there and then you started doing these auditions, um, like how many auditions would you do or or do you do or before the COVID, how many did you do typically in a week for like, TV and movies and stuff? 
You mean like as of a couple months ago? Yeah, like before the lockdown and stuff. Uh, it was pared down a bit. I mean, back in the day, I would go out on a lot more. I would go on commercial auditions. I would go on TV and, and movie auditions. I would go on a lot of auditions. Like, especially in my like mid, mid, mid to late 20s, I would do that a lot. I would just audition a lot. Mm-hmm. But I had this shift in my career where I was like, I don't want to go out for everything. And what's the point going out for some NCIS series regular or something like that's great as an actor, but how does that help me as a comedian? I care more about being a comedian than an actor. If you know what I mean? So it's just sort of like Mm -hmm. a priority shift. I, if you look at my IMDB, I've done a lot of, I've, I've been on a lot of shows and yeah, it's cool. It's novel, but it hasn't really helped me stand up wise, or it's not like I've become a huge stand up brand because of those little acting things. They were fun to do, but it was, it seemed like a nice time to pull focus and just drive the ship forward in terms of being a comedic brand, like, like a Hannibal or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or an well, Eric yeah, you- Andre where, where people know them as a comedian and, and you see them act in things as well, but they definitely have built their brand as a comedian. Whereas if you're right. just auditioning for everything and acting and everything, you can be sp- you're just like a vessel for everybody else and and uh no one sees you as that thing anymore mm-hmm. yeah and you had you actually came close to getting the role of uh, a bed on community was there yeah. any other big roles that you auditioned for or came close to i mean i think <clears throat> i forget the actual projects but there's this process in hollywood where you audition and then you you go to a producer session and that's what the producer and the director and the writer and stuff. And then after that, there's the, there's the, the studio test. And hmm. then that's like the studio people. And then there's the network test after that. This is for like sitcoms and stuff. And Jeez, I've been through that process. I know it's, it's like icing the kicker. Like every fucking time you're like, again, you've got to smash hmm. it like six times in a row. <laughs> and it's just like the ices wow. of environments too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they do the yeah. pleasant trades where they're like, "Hey, how you doing? How how's traffic? You get here? Cool, cool. Yeah. Where do you live? Oh, that's great. This is Doug. He's the writer. This is uh <laughs> and there's a coffee table and there's some hors d'oeuvres and shit for them to eat. And you you pretend that it's not the fucking weirdest circumstance in the world. <laughs> Both parties are pretending this isn't. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're, you're both it's like pretending awkward. it's not game it's like, seven of the NBA finals. You're like, yeah, yeah, how are the kids? Oh, it's so hard to get them out of bed. And uh, oh, yeah. And then you're like, all right, so it's first scene, and it's just so high stakes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then uh, do you think that the the casting directors, um, you've said like that you think maybe sometimes they're scared to take a risk on you because you're Afghan, so like, and there's no, you know, I guess recipe for that. Less about the casting directors. The casting directors are just trying to, they're just trying to cast the role, you know, and if you're right for it, you're right for it. And if you're being seen casting wise, they already, there's, there's a chance that you are right for it. If you're not, then they're not even going to see you, you know, I'm just mm-hmm. talking overall, I'm talking more in the stand up sense when I've, when I've said that in the past, just, yeah. uh, what box do you put? an Afghan American stand-up comedian who doesn't really talk about uh, being Afghan. And like I do sometimes it's like, who's my audience? You know what I mean? Like he has a weird name. Right. What do I do with this? It's just, there's not really a blueprint 
for maybe someone like me where there is a blueprint for a good looking white guy or like a black guy or or like a brown guy who talks about being brown a lot there there are blueprints for certain types of comedians and then when it's not super obvious and then it's it's harder to kind of plug you in yeah that that's interesting cuz you said that um you were offered a you actually offered a part on mad tv from your friend Bobby Lee, where it was like some sort of uh-huh. kind of stereotypical Middle Eastern thing where you were going to be in an apartment and they open up a closet and you're in there like, and it was kind of a stereotypical role. So you actually turned it down. Have you turned down other roles? Yeah, but it, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess I have that rep of like, I say no to a lot of stuff, but do you really? I, I've heard from like other comics or, and not in a negative way or maybe in a negative way for some people, but I'm just sort of, I know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's like a way I want to do it as well. Like the Bobby thing. I love Bobby and I know him from the comedy store and it was, I think it was the first time I met him. He offered me that role. So I met him at the comedy store and then, and then he's asking about my background and all that stuff. And he goes, do you want to do this, this part on mad TV where I open up my drawer and then you're like in a turban and your underwear sharpening a sword and and like that's it, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't want to do that because <laughs> <laughs> it's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's pretty. You know what I mean? That's pretty I think ballsy maybe just, though to maybe turn down Mad TV and turn down Bobby Lee. You're like, nah, I can do better than this. Like, I, that's pretty awesome. But I really don't want when he when he described what it is. It's yeah. It, it's not temp. Like I'm not just dying to be on TV at whatever cost. And that's more of like chomping at the bit if you're an actor you just want to yeah. be on tv and you don't care what the role is like that's not what i'm trying to say that's not my ethos even my comedy i would get scared sometimes offers would come through and and the role is middle eastern and there's an accent and stuff and then i i would just think about doing because it's it's so not what i do stand up wise mm-hmm. but that uh but you did do some of that wondered stuff, i go right I think it was a little superior yeah, donuts a little. or one, a couple of those shows. I was like, Oh, he's, he's like doing the accent stuff. N- superior. Not no. no, I was normal in that. Was it the, uh, or the I, Kirstie, Alley Kirstie Alley one? Yeah. One. Okay. Yeah. 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 And that's tough though, because you cross that bridge. You, especially I was younger then too. Like you can't be as adamant then you can a little bit because you have to weigh. All right. This in a perfect world, I don't do any accent ever. Um, but then sometimes opportunities come through and you go, does this help me career wise, even though I don't want to do the accent? The Bobby thing, like I'm just that, that that's nothing. You know, I'm an extra. Yeah. And I'm in a turban. And that's so stereotypical. I don't want to do it. Right. I, I think it's hard for me when it's um when it's stereotypical like that. If it's not coming from me, it feels like I'm being put on or something. I like having control over it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, because like you know, yeah, like if your I'm skits do, like, are like, like when I did goat face. Yes. When I did Goatface, I I'm the head writer on it. Right. So I wrote it. And if I'm gonna put a turban on, it's cause I have an angle or I'm doing it in a smart way. I don't feel like I'm being taken advantage of or setting my people back when when I have control over it. You're not being exploited. When, I'm not being exploited because I know what I'm doing yeah. and I I know where my heart is as an Afghan American person writing this thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes auditions come through and you you don't know the ethnicity of the the writer. Not that, you know, other ethnicities can't write other um, stories of ethnic people in in moving ways or whatever, but there can be a disconnect. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for and, sure. And and I just, like, uh, I just don't want to take that chance when I'm a comedian. Mm-hmm. You did, and then you did do the, the Wisco tr- yeah. tangy, Tango Foxtrot. That was really that cool. That was another one. That was another one, because that was cool. And again, yeah. it's one of those things of like, okay, I got to dress like a Middle Eastern person, and uh, I have to do an accent, but it wasn't overtly, um, like, watered down or dumb or something like that mm-hmm. and the people the caliber of people i was working with like margot robbie tina fey and alfred molina and just the directors too i was like yeah i got it i gotta do it yeah that was a great opportunity were you a little starstruck and it, was, it was a great experience yeah it was a great experience to do so yeah th- again so i would always weigh um the how middle eastern it is with the career opportunity were you starstruck? So like the being Bobby on that? thing is very different than Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. What's that? Were you starstruck being on the Wisco t- with all those big stars? Your mom got to go to the premiere and got pictures yeah. with Tina Fey and stuff. That's so cool. Yeah, it was kind of a trip. Um, I guess I was, but subdued. I didn't freak out or anything. But I remember we did this kickoff dinner before we started shooting in, in New Mexico. So I'm at this dinner with Martin Freeman, Tina Fey, Margot Robbie. Lauren Michaels, uh, you know, I met him and wow. we're talking a little bit. He would never remember it or anything, but but that was just so surreal. Yeah. Well, and I remember having this thought when I was talking to Lauren, because I forgot what we were talking about. I think hockey came up and he was talking about growing up in hockey and stuff. And I was having this conversation with him and and I just thought like, it's cool that I'm talking to Lauren but I wish it was in the capacity of talking about SNL. I didn't think it would be like this small talk at it. It's still very cool, but it's not in the capacity that launched me down this path. Yeah. Did you ever think of pitching you know, yourself I always at that envisioned point? Me saying... Talking to Lauren for the first time. No, that's just like, <laughs> that's, that's how you know you don't belong at the party. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm at this kickoff dinner for whiskey tango. I'm like, oh, Lauren, I'm also a comedian and I'm really a funny guy. And I grew up on SNL and, Here's my demo, Damn and it's it. a VHS cassette, even though everything's digital. <laughs> here's my here's my Betamax. Do you guys still use Betamax? I, it's like a I band know, giving their the, demo tape to the yeah. Uh, like maybe that works for for like the Motown story, but I don't know about SNL where you corner Lorne Michaels and do some characters for him in the bathroom. <laughs> I swear you should be on SNL. I know you've talked about this before and you said, no, you can't get on. You have to know somebody or blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, you should. Your, your stuff on Instagram is as funny, if not funnier than a lot of the stuff on SNL. Uh, maybe. Sure. Yeah. It's all subjective. And, but I, yeah, I, I don't know how their hiring goes. I, you need to have their ear. They can't, they can't look at everything, you yeah. know? So I think part of it is catching the eye of, of, um, they just have to stumble upon it on their own. You can't force it down someone's throat. There's a magic to someone discovering something on their own and not feeling put up to it. Mm-hmm. Cause I guarantee you a million agents and managers are trying to pitch their person. And when, if someone's like, yo, look at this, look at this, look at this, blah, blah, blah. You got to look at my guy. And you finally pull it up. You, you're already going to have your defenses up. Yeah. True. Whereas if you discover this person in a cool way, like someone they really respect is like, Hey, check this out. Or cause agents and managers pitching is, is not like the most 
honest way to see something. Mm. Well, that, and that's cool because you did your own uh, sketch comedy with Goatface, and you guys had the special in 2018 on Comedy Central. I think my favorite bit in the special was the this this has your I swear you must have wrote this because it's totally your style where it's like the four of you guys watching the news and there's a mass shooting and you're all seriously watching it and then you all jump up for joy when you find out it's like a white guy. <laughs> Yeah, was that your idea? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's is there it's a little bit of one truth of my to that? Bits. Oh, really? There is like that was that was a stand-up bit of mine that I turned into a sketch. Mm. Yeah, genius. Talking, like the the bit is basically like when you find out the ethnicity of the person whenever there's like a tragedy, like whenever you find out that it isn't your ethnicity, aren't you a little relieved? <laughs> <laughs> and then I go like. uh Oh, what was it? I go remember like when the the Vegas thing happened, you know? Oh God! It came out that it was it was, that was a, bad. It was, a, it was a white guy. Like every brown person was like, "Oh, thank God!" <laughs> <laughs> I go like every brown person was like, "This is how we do." <laughs> so, so just turning that into a sketch. Yeah, genius. No, I love that. And then um, you got to be on Conan. That had to have been surreal yeah. as well, right? Because you were you grew up totally. a fan of his. Yeah, that was um, really cool. I've done it twice now, but mm-hmm. the first time was definitely more of a monumental thing in my mind because I grew up with this guy. Yeah. And I've said it on other podcasts before, not only did I grow up watching his show after The Tonight Show, but he was a part of everything that influenced me as a child when it came to comedy. He wrote for SNL. He wrote for The Simpsons. Oh, and then I loved yeah. his late night show. forgot about that. So... Uh, there is there is a strand of Conan in my in my comedy DNA. Did he remember you the second time, or I don't know? Because they see so many comedians. They see so many. I mean, he's, he's very gracious. Um, the times that I've that I've met him on the show, and it's um, yeah, because your comedy is his. Like, I feel like he would be a fan of yours. Like, because it seems like you guys have, have similar yeah, style. Maybe I mean. Well, kindred spirits, I guess. I know one comedian that's a fan of yours is Bill Burr. That was pretty cool. He uh, gave you a yeah. shout out and said that that you're like one of the, the uh, best comedians out there right now. Yeah, that was random and super nice. That's the beauty of the comedy store is it's there's three showrooms and you never know. Everyone's kind of bouncing between them as comedians and you do so many sets a night. Sometimes you're surprised at who happens to be in the audience because he wanted to pop up in the in the belly room and do a set on this show. And so he happened to go, yeah, I think it was going up after me. So I didn't know till, till after I got off. Um, and I didn't even, he didn't even acknowledge anything. I, I didn't know he even really, it made an impact or anything. And then I see this interview that, uh, someone had done with him and they asked him like, you know, what comics do you like? Who do you like? And then he mentioned that show in the belly room and said all these, you remember my name? Just sometimes you think there's such a huge disconnect between you and these people you really admire mm-hmm. who are upperclassmen in comedy. And when they mention your name and, and say these nice things, it's, it's really flattering and, and surprising because you don't, you don't think you exist to them, <laughs> but it's great validation. That's, yeah. that's one of my, that that's as a comedian, that's one of the best credits you can get, even though it doesn't really make a splash with any the average person for comedians. That, that was like a big stamp for me just personally. Yeah. No, that's super cool. Um, and also, it's not, you have some other famous fans. Uh, you said that the guy from O-Town, Trevor, is a fan, and like some music people classics, <laughs> Portugal the Man. 
And I don't know if you knew yeah. this one. This is I'm because you're more EDM. Yeah. I'm a rock guy, I, I, but um, Todd Kearns, he's uh-huh. like the guitarist that works with Slash. He's a fan of yours. Who? Todd Kearns, he's like a. Gu- oh yeah, yeah. Do you know yeah. him or? He fo- he follows we'll you on Instagram. We're like Instagram. Yeah. we're Instagram friends. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of cool. That is cool. I think that's the also the beauty of just being out here in LA and being in the uh, comedy store. These these everyone's in the industry and the comedy store is a, a beacon of of stand up comedy. So you you do so many shows throughout a night, you don't know who's in the audience and who becomes a fan and these people you meet. Um like I would never think that these people would gravitate towards my stuff, but it's very cool. No, it's you said Michael Shannon was in the audience once. He's a really good actor. Yeah, yeah. And I love I love him too. Like he's seen me twice, and then I I talked to him. Um, me and Kirk Fox, he saw our sets, and then he he came up to us and was chatting with us at the comedy store patio, the front patio. It was great. Just have a conversation with the guy, and that's one of those things too, where he's so good at his craft, and and he enjoys co- stand up comedy and respects it in the same way he respects acting. Just there's this cool mutual admiration for artists and other fields. I noticed that with music because I love musicians as well and I wish I could do what they do and and they reciprocate as well. So sometimes it's cool to see Michael Shannon just pop into the comedy store. They let him in. He just sits in the bucket seats by himself in the back. He has like a glass of, of scotch. He's by himself? He just en- en- enjoys himself. Interesting. By himself, yeah. I thought he'd have a huge he's entourage. He's the only one who does that. Other, uh, other celebrity... He's a chill dude, man. Like he's not like that. Um, wow. Have you? Would you ever? I, I think that I think that's the coolest thing because oh, he's cool. not the only one I've heard who have done that. Where they just come to enjoy themselves, they just slink in the back and and like they're not even there. They don't make a big to do about it. They're just there to enjoy comedy and slip out undetected. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> have, would you like ever? I've heard Ricky Gervais has done that. I think Tarantino has Gee, done that. Johnny Depp Tarantino? has done it. Oh my god! Yeah. Wow. Would you ever audition for like a serious dramatic role, or have you? I would. Um, I have. Yeah, and I would. You know, a long time ago. You know that uh, the night of on HBO. No, what's that? It was with Riz. Riz Ahmed. Um, he's in prison. You know. Mm. Ah, fuck. It's you a movie or a show. It was, it was like a a, a mini series. Oh, okay. I'll have to check it out. Mr. Deeds. John Turturro was in it. He's the lawyer. He's got the saran wrap on his feet. What? That sounds great. I I just got HBO, so I'm watching all... I'm catching up on all the old shows. Well, it was a big miniseries. And then I think years before that, so it took a while for it to get off the ground. Like Gandolfini was officially going... He was initially going to be the John Turturro character. Uh, But then he passed away, and then Turturro took over when it finally got off the ground. But I, I auditioned for that. But that was just submitting. Um, but uh, yeah, it would be fun to to act in a dramatic thing, but but not a series regular. And I'm not an established comedian yet. You know, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't mind if it was just a movie or like a guest star in a show. But I still want to. I still want to move the boat forward, comedy wise. Yeah. So before I attach myself to something dramatic, dramatic for a long time. Sure. So, so I would love to do drama, but just a short, a short burst. So it's a movie where the end is in sight pretty, um, I don't know, pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Whatever happens. Like I don't want to do four, I don't want to do four seasons of a drama because that doesn't help <laughs> me as a comedian who's no, trying to get seen, you know? That would be annoying for sure. 
Whatever happened to uh, Lance? Is he still kicking around? I know the podcast dried up, dried up but um, yeah, you yeah. you you haven't done the character for a couple of years, but then you you brought him back right before the lockdown. But wasn't there going to be craziest timing? Yeah, yeah. Like Lance hadn't performed for two years, and then Lance performed. Uh, he came back after two years, performed at the Comedy Store, and then COVID happened. But that performance was pretty amazing, and it was fucking great to be back. Yeah, wasn't there a, a TV show that was maybe like a was it the producer from was it Scrubs? You told me that was maybe yeah, interested. Bill in- Lawrence. So Bill Lawrence was a fan of Lance, and and he wanted to develop a show. So we we did that. We we tried to develop this Lance show, and we we took it around, and it just it didn't really go anywhere. Just you know, we pitched it around. No one really kind of wanted it, or whatever the angle we had for it. So that was. That sucked because I thought it's a great character and I still do think it's a great character. I just think the puzzle isn't there yet. I, I don't want to abandon it completely, but I think there still is hope for Lance. It's just whatever the, the right fit is for the next one. Oh, yeah. The I, next iteration. I love Lance. Did you do any other characters? Uh, th- th- that's like the main one. Yeah. Um, and that's the one that does stand up, you know. <laughs> and if I do do characters, it's just to service whatever the idea I have. You yeah, know, I'll uh, just have these sketch ideas, and then I will do whatever I have to do to get the point across. And if I happen to do some character in it, so be it. Um, but I, it's not like I have these smashing characters, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you do you ever worry about the cancel culture with a character like Lance or or just any of your material in general? Because I've seen you do like some kind of darker stuff, which I think is hilarious and I love it. But I know I that do, there's man. some people that don't. Yes, so. I I do. Um, and I I dance that line and I worry about it and I'm de- I definitely kind of comb through things with more of a fine tooth comb these days. And the thing is, seeing society evolve as well. Um. And the way Twitter has changed when I was Twitter's been around for a long time. And when I first signed up for it and I think every comic just treated it as an open mic, they just thought of it as these fleeting thoughts, you know, oh, yeah. if, you, if you go to an open mic, comics are just constantly throwing ideas out there. They're just, it's like feeding a duck. They're just ripping off some breadcrumbs and seeing if anything sticks. If you go to an open mic and a joke is off color, doesn't do well, it's gone. It's gone forever. <laughs> you know, yeah. those words were said they're dissipated. The vibrations are gone. The comic knows to never do it again. Maybe they even learn a lesson by how it, it falls like a lead balloon. They go, okay, that's too far. <laughs> but with Twitter, there's a history. There's, there's a record. record yeah, of it. it's scary. And people think that you've, you've chiseled it in stone, that you believe this wholeheartedly just because it happens to have a timestamp and it's still up there. You know, mm-hmm. I think just because there's receipts for this thing that was said, people think that it's a platform that this person is running for in political office, whereas it was merely a bla- a brain dropping, uh, especially in the early days of Twitter. Yeah, and definitely. no one knew no one knew what it was, and society evolves every year. It's just crazy to have receipts of society evolving, you know? Imagine the tweets from 1920. <laughs> <laughs> Never thought of that, you know, but e- yeah. Even even podcasts, like the podcasts I do, I just think about, and the podcasts everyone does, we just have so much catalog of ideas and ways of speaking that are like depositions throughout time. You know, when you listen to this podcast or 
I'm sure any podcast that I've done, if you listen to it 150 years from now, I don't think anything bad is on them. But by those standards, yeah. they, they must be. Things can change. Yeah. So I think uh, it's so new and everyone's trying to figure it out. And already you're starting to see people have some atrophy atrophy from it. Just the pendulum has shifted a bit where the sky can't be falling every day. And, and let's kind of apply context to every case now instead of just a blanket. You're, every day on Twitter, it's like so-and-so's over party. So-and-so's over. So-and-so's o- over. It's, just, it's become sport. Jeez. I know. It's frustrating, too. And, and like you said, I mean, it's, it's brain droppings. It's, they're comedians. They're trying to make jokes. It, again, you have to try different stuff before you know what's funny and what's not. Yeah, it's just um, Twitter is a con- it's a contextless medium. So even even if you try to explain like, oh, this is what I meant, um, it's not fashionable to be like, oh, I understand. <laughs> you know, on Twitter, <laughs> be like, I see what you're trying to say. Uh, yeah, it's just fun to retweet within your echo chamber and and get those karma points. You know. Yeah. And I've been guilty of it too. Just it's so much easier just to retweet something and and take someone's quote from the retweet as the the hot take without reading or assessing the actual situation. Mhm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think we all do that. We we were just in Vegas recently. We saw some we saw some kind of bad not when when we saw you, but we were we saw some other bad comedians in Vegas. And I don't want to name names, but have you seen some comedian? You must have seen a lot of like bad comedians, and not just open mic, but people that actually tour and even headline clubs. Like, how do you handle that when you see them after? St- do you just kind of fake it? Like, oh oh yeah, good set or uh, yeah yeah. I mean. <laughs> Well, you don't go out of your way to be like great set, but it's sort of like saying hi to someone. You know, mm-hmm. if they come off stage, um, and people know, you know what I mean. Like if it's a a kind of tepid response from the audience, you say like like uh, good job, or you fist bump them, or if they're walking by you or something, it's it's really not as weird as you think it is. Yeah. What about uh, yeah. good comedians? Are there have you seen any? Like who are some uh, young uh, up and coming guys that might not necessarily be in the national spotlight, but are big at the comedy store or locally in LA? Uh, there's a, there's quite a few young comedians that are good. Um, there's this guy, Mecky Lepper. I like him. Um, oh yeah. I know of I him. I'm saying Yeah. Mecky Lepper's great. I think I asked him to do he's my podcast. Mor- he's like Moroccan. And, yes. Uh, I think he's Moroccan and something else, or maybe just full Moroccan. He's funny. Uh, Allie Makovsky's funny. She's like a, a younger girl. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think who else. Yeah, I don't know. I got to think about it. Oh, that's that's all right. Yeah, I always just like to hear. That's good. That's a good. Couple names people to check out because you guys know more than we do. There's so many good comedians. I find them yeah, every day. I, I found this guy yesterday. Right. Uh, is it Ryan Logan? He did so. He did this sketch about uh, racism and wokeness. And it blew oh, yeah. up. Did you see that? I just discovered that too. Yeah. That was so hilarious. Good. Great. Yeah. You liked it too? Yeah. I discovered him that way too. I mean, yeah. uh, he has some other funny videos as well, but um, it's funny. We probably discovered him at the same time. Yeah. He seems to be a New York guy. Oh, so okay. Yeah. It's harder to keep tabs on on New York guys because you know, I'm out here in LA. Is there kind of like a, a East Coast, West Coast uh, gang rival kind of thing with comedy or... <laughs> 
I don't think so. I don't think there's a gang. Um, <laughs> oh, but there's definitely different scenes. It's, it's a different scene and kind of way of operating. Do you ever get to go you know, go perform over there sometimes? Not as much as I'd like to. I, I have a little bit. When we were filming Goatface out there, I did some stand-up and I'm trying to think. I've done some spots in New York, but I'm never there long enough to to be a part of the scene, which I I would like to. COVID happened. I was actually planning oh. on maybe spending some time or splitting some time in New York, but COVID happened and that's on the back burner. But I would definitely like to be more a part of the the New York comedy scene just because it's never it's like a whole it's like a whole new level in Grand Theft Auto that you've never been to. You know, like a whole new part a whole new totally. part of the map. Yeah. There's a lot of great comedians over there. I've done I've done LA and L LA's great, but there's something very cool about being seen with fresh eyes in in especially in a place like New York. Mm-hmm. A lot of comedy clubs there. And then you so you've yeah. done a lot of podcasts. You like I think the you've done the biggest podcast. You did the Joe Rogan podcast. Did you did you get the pick with the flamethrower and the sword? Or I didn't see you post that. Seems like they Gallant, always Yeah, no. Yeah, we didn't do that one. He was running late and oh. I don't know. I, I forgot after the fact. I'm like, oh yeah, fuck. I should have done the the sword or flamethrower. Yeah. Did you see a big bump in I followers forgot. after you did that interview? Yeah, of course. Really? Yeah. I was trying to like watch because I was just yeah, curious myself. I was like, I wonder if he's gonna get I saw like I kept checking, it was like a couple hundred, a couple hundred. I was like, wow, it's it's working. Yeah, it's bigger. Um it's bigger than when I've done. I've done three late nights, and that was bigger than all of them. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. That I'm, just shows you a sign of the times and how things have shifted. Back in the day, late night was the way to make a splash as a comedian. And yeah. Nowadays, it's Rogan. It was the only way. Yeah, it was the only way. And now it's just sort of a feather in your cap for people who were born in a certain year and, and give it that kind of credence, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, another, as an artist, it fills this hole, but as a businessman, it doesn't. Right. Another podcast you did was the you just did Brittany Furlan's podcast, Worst First. And I know you're yeah. you're kind of more into EDM than rock, but her husband is Tommy Lee, the drummer Tommy of Motley Lee. Crew. Did you <laughs> yeah. get to meet him, or do you see any have any interaction so, with him? Yeah, but not that day. So I know Brittany from from quite a bit. I think she was she was dating a comic I knew from back in the day, and then. And she was doing stand-up a little bit as well in the early years. And then she got big on Vine and Instagram and stuff. And and we've been kind of like friendly from afar. Mm. And she had been wanting me to kind of do the the podcast for a while. I just never lined up. And I finally, I did it. And we just kept in touch and stuff. And then I had this idea during quarantine of like this R&B video of what, you know, because you see these Usher videos where he's always dancing next to the girl and shit. Right. And then my take on it was that you got to be so far away from them. So it'd be funny to do an <laughs> R&B music video where the R&B singer is wearing a mask and she's wearing a mask and he's just so far away dancing because he loves her. Yeah, I think I saw I that. Go, oh, yeah. So I'm like, oh, Britney would be good to be the love interest in this little music video thing for Instagram. So she's like, yeah, I'm down. Can you come to me and, and we do it? I go, for sure. And she lives pretty close to me, I think out there in Calabasas. Mm. So we went there, me and my buddy, Andrew Zen, shot the thing. And we, we go to, to their house, you know, Tommy Lee's there. But first we shoot the video and then we come inside and then she introduces us and I go, hey, what's up? Um, <laughs> so I meet him and he's a cool dude, really nice guy, but it's such a mind trip, like, Oh, that's fucking weird. Especially even driving to the 
the shoot. You know, I'm driving to their yeah. house and there's this gate. And I, they're, they're like looking at me and I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm here to see Tommy Lee. <laughs> <laughs> like I never thought I would ever be saying that out of my mouth. <laughs> and under these circumstances, it's just such a weird world. Yeah. And then just the gates open like. <laughs> just, it's so funny. Wow. Just to, me to pop my head out of my Mazda 3, my 2007 <laughs> Mazda 3 and be like. Uh, Tom, here's he, Tommy Lee. Just like a question, not even confident about it, and then <laughs> and I drive up there. Oh, that's awesome! But Brittany's cool. She's shown me. She's like sent me video of her showing my special to him, and I just see him watching my special on a laptop and laughing. Really, that's cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. I, I, this is interesting. I found this out. Uh, you, because I always thought when I, th- I think when I first met you, you didn't drink or like do anything. And then I, I heard a story you were telling about how you did mushrooms. Yeah. And then you <laughs> you smoked <laughs> weed for the first time, and all this stuff. Like, <laughs> what happened? You fell off the wagon. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty much it. You nailed everything that I've done, and it was pretty much those one times. You oh, know? really? Just the one time? Yeah, I got. Yeah, I don't really. I think I've done weed maybe two two or three times and then not anymore because the third time was just like i really didn't like it oh uh, was did you get so, paranoid or yeah 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 i'm a paranoid guy i even <sighs> turned into a stand-up bit where i'm just like i just talk about the experience i go like it's not for me i i go um like i just get terrified i just get really like paranoid and stuff and i go and it's hard because i don't want to ruin everybody else's good time right so i have to pretend so I'm gonna do this whole <laughs> thing where i smoke it and i'm like Ugh, this is that sticky icky and then my eyes just look super paranoid i'm like looking around <laughs> and I'm like, this is that good shit <laughs> and i'm like help me <laughs> no that's it's yeah, like that and then yeah, the mushrooms sorry, what was that no, i was just gonna say it's interesting about you because mo- a lot of comedians they seem to have like some sort of insecurity and you know and sadly unfortunately a lot of them die young because they have substance issues or you know suicide or like you don't seem to have you seem to have your shit together like there's obviously not real big drug issues yeah, you, know? you seem I'm real secure fortunate. like right so like what drove you into comedy as opposed to just being a fan of comedy like you know what i mean it always seems like there's some sort of like something people have to prove or like a pain that they're dealing yeah. with or i think i was just i just loved it so much as a kid and I had an aptitude for it. Like I'm not yeah, dumb. Do. I would I would I would go through life and I would make people laugh pretty hard like my friends and even adults and I I always recognized that early on that I wasn't just making kids laugh. It wasn't like funny in the way that a kid is funny. Mhm. Not to be like, you know, this sounds like super pretentious and shit, but <laughs> No, it's it's I'm an totally observer. true. I think yeah. I I'm I'm uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty good at observing things without adding some filter to it, seeing things for what they are. And I think that's what what makes a good comedian as well is just sort of like seeing things for what they are and not adding their own. Um, I don't know. Some people have like warped, warped perception of what's really going on. And that, that makes for a bad comedian as well. You know, some comedians, yeah. they uh, they hear laughs, even though there are none. So they think they're killing and th- we call those laugh ears in the biz. Oh. Um, so, cause that's, that means you don't grow as a comedian where what's happening during your shows and you're up there. If you can't assess the actual assess, uh, assess the actual situation of what's going on, you're not gonna be able to grow. Right. 
You have to learn you know? from your failure, you but if you don't think you failed, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. If you think you're cr- crushing every time when you're bombing, you're not going to fix anything to get better. <laughs> but if you can see a bomb for a bomb or yeah. a mediocre set for a mediocre set, that's 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 really powerful too. I think that and editing, being a good editor. But uh, yeah, when I was a kid, I would notice that like I would make the parents laugh or my friend's parents or the teacher laugh. And I just noticed it was like a different type of humor that was um, a little more sophisticated than just childish humor. Mm-hmm. And, no, that's impressive. And so, so yeah. So I think those things that I loved with the coupled with the aptitude that I, or I'd make my lunch table laugh and I was good at the videos too. Um, that's awesome. Like sketches. So, so I just ran with it. I just, I, yeah, it was like knowing you have an aptitude for something and just being super driven and having grit. And yes. So that the the setbacks don't um, take all the wind out of your sails. Well, yeah, because did you ever think at a time, I know like you did Chuck in 2010, that was your first big TV thing that you did. And then you had mm-hmm. the MTV disaster date, you had a couple other things. Uh, but then there was like, things kind of dried out for a little bit. Did, did you ever have that thought of, ah, maybe I should just go back to engineering or... Yeah, I mean, early on, I think uh, it was scariest maybe the first or second year when I left engineering because it's uncharted water, you know? It's something so, it is something not very firm. And engineering has a firm foundation. You know what you're going to get. Your your runway is pretty clear. And Mm -hmm. then entertainment, it was... I had enough going on for me that I can make the jump, but then it gets a little dicey maybe after year one or, or, or year two. But I always had this deal that I would do it myself where I go every year assess and be honest. Am I further along than the year before? Am I progressing? And if I am, I'm on the right track. If I'm doing the same or regressing, then it's time to assess an escape hatch. <laughs> or go, or go like back that. to engineering. Yeah, yeah. Some some people set out on a path, and even though the world tells them it's not it's not for them, they 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 continue swimming. Uh, they upstream. Yeah, but it's Forever. part of that is for like way you said. Than they should have the grit is like. I mean, I've interviewed so many people that I mean, it's taken them five, ten, fifteen years to get to be successful or whatever they do. It's crazy. But I mean, you were l- l- kind of lucky early on, not lucky, but you got some success early on. That must've encouraged you. Yeah. I got some success. And every year I would have a few things within that year that led me to believe that I'm on the right path and like, okay, this is a new credit. This is a new credit. This is, I'm doing better. I'm, I'm like on the road more, right? Or I got this acting thing or I got this writing thing. And so there was enough action and enough movement where, where I knew I was on the right path. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, you definitely are. What, 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 is, what do you think the next step for you is going to be? Next step. Uh, you want to do another special, right? Yeah, that's the weird thing is is I I was pretty much um, ready to do another special, at least material wise. Um, I was trying to figure out where I was going to shoot it and like where I would where it would end up. Like if I would try to sell it somewhere or do it on my own or, but now COVID has really thrown in a, a wrench into everyone's next plan. Right. Really. So yeah, I guess before COVID it would, the plan was to, for my next special to do that. 
and and now I don't know. I have the material. Now I'm trying to reconcile. I do have audio of it, like decent audio of it from when mm. I did House of Comedy out there in in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So I'm debating. That was great. Yeah, you did great stuff there. Thanks, man. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what to do because when is regular stand-up going to come back the way we knew it? Who knows, uh, right? Is it, it is, or is it open it some be... places? I know Andrew Rivers like ran in and ran out. Like he did a quick set and recorded it in like Oklahoma or something. Oh yeah. Yeah, some places are, but not on a large scale. Mm. And you, you know, need like a theater to, to be. You need like a theater to yeah, do a special? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know, not a theater, but you, you kind of need a capacity at capacity comedy club. Like if you're doing a socially distanced show and there's 50 people in a in a room that seats 300 it's going to sound weird you know oh, i don't true, know if i want yeah. i don't know if i i don't know if i want to do a a pandemic special you know? <laughs> yeah and then how long do you think this will be like this that's the question yeah so there's there's three routes you can take there's try to figure out what to do with your unfinished or just sort of audio version of pre-covid material so I, I have that set from when we were in a simpler time with no pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Do I figure out a way to put that out? Or do I do a COVID special where it's like outside and it's weird and shit? <laughs> or yeah. do I wait until who knows when, right. when comedy is back to normal? That could be a year. That could be a few months. It could be a couple years. Yeah. Do you make yeah, these decisions so. on your own or do you have a manager or someone that helps you? I have a manager, but then I also think he's a good soundboard as well. Like yeah. trying to decide, because before when uh, this thing first happened, I think my thought was, all right, this thing will be over and then we can get back to doing my regular special when clubs are open and, you know, like they, they were at capacity the way they used to be. And yeah. after the second shutdown, it seems like that's not the case and that's further away. So that's what made me question all right, maybe I need to make do with um, what I currently have. What, whatever version of it I, I have on my hard drive, is there a way to repurpose that or make that novel enough for a release? Do I try to... These are internal questions I have between mm-hmm. me and my team and stuff. Hmm. So I, right now at this juncture, I'm trying to determine, do I hold on to this thing for when when it opens up again? Or do I release it under the context of, hey, this is... This is what I did before shit hit the fan. This is this is this is as like finished as it got. Yeah, because if you wait too long, then the material could even get dated, right? Yes, yes. There's that too. Then it's sort of like it's twofold. Do I wanna? Do I even care about this shit anymore now that I've I'm like two years removed from the pandemic? Right. Right. Yeah. That and then and then is it relevant? Um, so yeah, there's all these new questions that, that have arisen because of this thing. Yeah. One thing I know is people are hungry for content cause there's not a lot to do. So a lot of people yeah. are releasing stuff. Yeah, there, yeah, there is that too. Um, everyone's kind of quarantined. There's not a lot of stuff being done currently. Productions are shut down. Um, Can you write? Can you write like a screenplay or a TV pilot idea? Yeah, I could do that. So I guess during the quarantine, I've just... I've been focusing more on the things that I can do rather than can't do. Cause I could just sit at home all day and be like, eh, when are clubs going to open and just get nowhere mm-hmm. or get creative. Um, like the little skits on IG or write, write some, some sketches or a sitcom or a screenplay. 
I'm loving the sketches yeah. that you're doing. Do do people ever try to give you jokes or joke ideas? Like Some, people sometimes. who aren't comedians. It used to happen more so back in the day. I mean, even for my family, sometimes like my brother or my cousin, they would they would want they would have an idea and they'd be like, "Hey, you should do this." Because I think there's this element of everyone thinks they have good ideas or, or are funny, and the big hurdle is getting on stage. Mm-hmm. Most people most people don't want to actually try this idea out because the investment is too much. You know, people don't want to sure. public speak. So they'd be like, hey, this is the next best thing if I just tell this comedian I know to try it out. I had an idea for, you're probably going to hate that. I have two ideas, actually. One, one <laughs> these are these are not stand-up the ideas, though, but like to do like a, a video, this sounds like something you could, I don't know, you'd have to make it funny, but like you you do jokes about the mass shootings. Yo, 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 that's my favorite pitch. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you, you, should, you should do this. <laughs> You'll uh, make this funny. you have to figure out how to make it funny. No, <laughs> like, no, no. Hear me out. What do I need you for? So, <laughs> No, hear me out. Because you do the the mass shooting jokes. Wouldn't this be fun? This is a funny premise. Listen, there's like a Zoom meeting, right? Like either for school or work. Yeah. And like there's a mass shooter and he's on a Zoom call and he doesn't realize that he can't hurt people. And he tries to do like a mass shooting on the Zoom call because he's, he has to do it remotely. That's come on. That's not a funny premise. Yeah, yeah. And, and then he just he, he shoots the webcam and then yeah. he goes dark. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone's like, oh, that's weird. And they just go yeah. back to their lesson. I don't know. It's something. It's, it's a, you can have that idea. If I'd love to see that. Yes. The other, my, my other idea for you, and this is just a, is to for you to team up with Ryan O'Flanagan because you're the one that turned me on to him. He is hilarious. He makes hilarious videos. Oh, I, I love think Ryan. you two need to Ryan's make a video so together. Have you ever you ever talked about yeah. that? Yeah, I love his stuff. We haven't talked about that, but you know, sometimes I don't know if it's that easy where it's just sort of like. Yo, we got to team up and make something. <laughs> like, I, comedy's not like musicians. We're like, yo, come over, let's comedy jam. You know, like, oh yeah, 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 that's funny. <laughs> no, you don't have an idea that like you think like a part he could play or something in one of your sketches or I don't know. Yeah, may, maybe uh, for sure. I love Rhino Flanagan and and I I love other comics as well. I think the way I work is. I'll think of a sketch, I'll write it out, and then I plug in whoever I think is right for it. Like, who do I know that I that I envision as this? Mm-hmm. That's the beauty of doing stand-up and being surrounded by so many other comedians. I just know who's right for it. It's not like I have to go to central casting and be like, hey, right. get me this person. I already know. I already know who's funny, and I know who could do it. Yeah, you have tons of comedian friends, right? I mean, you've- I have tons of comedian friends, and... And it's very much its own scene, and we have camaraderie already. Uh, it's it's like acting adjacent. That's very cool. Can you do? Yeah. I have one more request. Will you? Can you do your Rocky Balboa stand up comedy for us? <laughs> that is one of my favorites. <laughs> Rocky doing stand up. Yeah. <laughs> or just what? Like what he would say if he was on this podcast right now? Just any rock. Give me some. Give me some Rocky. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, yeah. Chuck. <laughs> Chuck's been dreaming about to be on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> oh god, it's so I don't, great. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the best Rocky, but it's an approximation. <laughs> no, I think people need to see the whole the whole uh stand up bit. It's it's hilarious. I, it's on, I put it on I put it on YouTube. If you go to you know youtube.com slash Fahimanwar, I think it's up there. His yeah, and you have actually seen the bit. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I think someone sent it to him. Sent it to them. Hopefully, they liked it. 
Yeah, probably. Hey, it's uh, done with love, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I always end with a, a charity. So I, I think that was the homework I gave you. Hopefully, I mean, so do you have, oh, is there fuck. a charity or uh, besides doing my podcast, is there like a nonprofit that you like yeah, to support? Or? I don't, I forgot, I, for, I forgot, I forgot that part. Can I get back to you on the charity? I didn't do my yeah. homework. Yeah, that's, that's fine. I can, yes. I can add it to the notes you later. You know what it's going to be though? It's probably going to be, it's going to be an Afghan charity though. Yeah, I, I for help, sure. I got to help the people, dude. Definitely, dude. You definitely should. Absolutely. That'd be amazing. I, yeah. Cause I've never had, you're my first Afghan uh, person on my show. It's very cool. One of many. Yeah. Who, what other like Afghan uh, famous or comedians or musicians or people that would want to do pot that I'd want to have on a podcast. I'm trying to think that's a very, it's an interesting Venn diagram right there. <laughs> <sliver>. <laughs> I don't know. I'll that's what makes you, you so one, cool. It's, it's so unique. Well, like what, what else can we promote for you? You've got the Fahima and more dance hour podcast. Uh, you're yes. special. There's no business like show business. It's, on. it's for free. Comedy central, put it out. Yeah. So if you go on comedy central standups, YouTube, if you just search for it in YouTube, it's on it'll your, come up. your so YouTube, just, I think. Yeah. It's or on is mine it as well. Yeah. But Comedy Central's is ad free. Mine ads come up. So oh, okay. It's just and also, there's on, no business like show business. And it's um, also on Amazon podcast. Prime, I think, right? It's on Prime. If you have that, you could, yeah, you could turn it, turn that and on. And then the, and, the Goat Face special, if people pay like three bucks, they can get that on yeah, iTunes. You could, you can rent it on iTunes or Amazon Prime. Um, so that's called Goat Face. And, yeah, my podcast, my Instagram at Fahim Anwar, my Twitter yeah, you, at Fahim Anwar. Your Instagram is—I mean, I don't usually say this, but because a lot of comedians Instagram, you need to give like help some comedians with this because some comedians will have an Instagram, and I feel like they don't know how to use the Instagram as like. If I follow a comedian on Instagram, I don't need to see like pictures of their food, right? I need to see like funny content, and you're really good about posting really funny content like i i look when i see you have a post i'm like yes it's like a christmas present you know ah nice yeah and that was kind of a shift for me as well because instagram initially was a picture platform yeah so even up until a few months ago or like a year or two ago i i always thought like oh i have to have some photos sprinkled in there i can't just have all videos and I just never, I'm not like a big picture guy. I don't like putting up a ton of pictures or feeling mm -hmm. forced to put up pictures. And then I just had this um, change of thought where I go, nah, it's just like my channel. Or if I, I can just put all videos. I don't give a fuck. And I just been treating it like that now, where if I get a funny idea, I just put up videos and I don't care if it's all videos. Yeah. And how do you decide what goes? Because some of the stuff that it's, you have is really funny is in your stories. And then I'm like, oh, crap, it's going to be gone in 24 hours. So how do you decide what goes on a story versus um, like a regular post? Uh, I guess it, sometimes I'll do a story and I think the idea is dumb or it's so fleeting that may, I don't think it's good enough for an actual feed post. But mm -hmm. if the response is, is really, um, I don't know, good on the story, then sometimes I'll be like, maybe I'll put it on the feed as well. Like if enough okay. people really like the story, I'll put it on the feed. But usually the story is, is very low stakes. So yeah, that's yeah. why if I do something funny, it's it's dumb and fleeting and gone in 24 hours. So it's not precious. And if it happens to strike a chord, then I'll put it on the feed. So, but when I put something on the feed, I, I really, I believe in this thing. Oh yeah. No, the stuff on your feed is so great. Like one of the best ones you did was the Corona one where you, the stages of coronavirus. Uh, yeah. That one kind of took off too. Um, that was genius. And was it's brilliant. interesting, the different plat platforms. Thanks, man. I had the idea 
it's just a different if those listening who haven't seen it it's just sort of like the different stages of it like at the beginning you're like oh that's yeah. weird or oh i can't wait i, I just gotta i just gotta stay home sure yeah and then it's and like then a the vacation everyone had, yeah it's like a vacation and then what do we do about money and then Whoops. and then what did i do today and then, and then no like, the, my favorite was like oh i guess there's now they say masks do work <laughs> Yeah, because they were saying masks don't yeah, work initially, right. and then you know I'm wearing a mask, and I'm like, so now they say masks do work, and then scrubbing down the groceries, <laughs> and then the, and then it's like me finding saying like I think it was developed in a lab in Wuhan, and like <laughs> I've said too much, and I was like paranoid, oh, and then God, the very so last funny. one is is me, my hair is crazy, and I'm like <laughs> shouting, I'm like the guy in Vietnam where I'm like, come and get me, Corona, you want a piece of me, and I'm just like licking the remote, I don't give a fuck anymore. Oh, just you describing it is so hilarious. Yeah, so that did well on TikTok, actually, which is weird. Oh, I forgot. I always forget about TikTok. I'm so bad about that. But I was going to ask you, so is TikTok good to you? uh, Yeah, it's the last, it's the only place that will go viral anymore. Instagram has put a, they've put a, they've put a cap on it. None of my shit what? on Instagram reaches a far audience anymore. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Everything will, ev- yeah, everything will cap out at like 20,000 views if you're lucky on Instagram. For me at least, you know? Back in the day, I would, I would get like 100,000 or like 80,000 and my standup clips would, would, they would get like 200,000 or 300, but they stopped that. Huh. So, like but they put t- a cap on it. They actually did that or is it because they want you to promote it or something? I think so. I think they uh, want advertise. They want you to pay um, to, uh, to reach your own audience. So Instagram is not good for organic growth anymore. Really interesting. TikTok, you still can strike lightning and it'll, I have a few videos on there that have hit a mill or are doing really geez. well. And, and that Corona one took off and then someone tweeted the TikTok video. So <gasps> then it took off on Twitter so it's weird. You don't know what platform it's going to do well on. You just create yeah. you create a, a thing and then you blast it on all of them and then see it just gives you the best chance of it sticking somewhere cuz it, it'll take off it, if you're lucky it'll take off at one of them. Yeah, you get so you get paid for like YouTube's if you get a certain number of views, right? You can you get paid on the TikToks then or No, not really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't I yeah, you can't monetize TikTok or it seems like YouTube is the place to do that. Um, yeah, man, it's trying to figure it out. That's awesome. Well, yeah, keep up the good. Thanks so much for doing my podcast. Thanks for all the laughs. Like everybody needs to follow you right now. Your stuff is hilarious. So thanks, man. And thanks for, for being a fan for so long, dude. You yeah, knew when I was a course. baby. I know. I know. I was like, I, we used to joke. I'm like, I'm a super fan. Cause I, I literally would watch you every week. It, it was hilarious. You'd get like 15, 20 minutes at that last place. And I, we'd stick around to that, you know, for the headliner to, to be nice, yeah. but <laughs> we were really coming to see you. So it was awesome. How funny. That'd be funny if you just like left after my set every time. I just crushed, <laughs> crushed every other comedian. <laughs> no, no, no. They're just good comedians too. But yeah, was, there was something like, I think cause we grew up with the same like comedy influences. Like, so I get your jokes very well. Yeah, they're the same with music, you know. There's just some people have a certain vibe or brand that you gravitate towards and it reminds you of of you and and like you and your brothers and stuff and I have that with other artists as well and that's that's just the way it works. It's very And cool. I'm not that for some other people and that's fine. That's there's there's so much room um for everybody. Yeah, definitely. Well, I hope that you can come and do another show in Arizona again, or I can go to LA once this Me too. quarantine Me too, goes away. So Here, here's to the next live performance. 
Yeah. Otherwise, I'll just keep watching your stuff on Instagram. Sounds good, dude. All right. Well, thanks so much, Fahim. Yeah, no problem. All right. I'll talk to you soon, dude. Okay. Bye-bye. Peace. So funny. I want to thank Fahim yet again. I'm just very grateful that he took the time to do my podcast. Good karma for him. Uh, Check out Fahim's YouTube videos. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter. He provides a lot of really funny content. Uh, And then you can check out his stand-up special um, on YouTube. And his charity uh, should be in the notes of the podcast. If you enjoyed this interview, uh, let me know with a review. uh, And make sure to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss any future episodes. I got some great episodes out already and uh, a lot more to come. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great day or night if you're listening at night. And remember, just go for it. Shoot for the moon.